Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And also turn in the back of your new Psalter hymnals to page 935. Um, Revelation chapter 2. We'll start reading at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and that you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Uh, Chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, that's page 935. We'll be reading together sections 4 and 5. It says this, This Catholic Church have been sometimes more, sometimes less visible, and particular churches which are members thereof are more or less pure according to the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced ordinances administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. Some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would hear us by your Holy Spirit, and as we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with understanding of your word, Lord, that you would enlighten our minds to the knowledge of Christ, that you would help us to grow as a church, a church that is a demonstration of your love, of your power and authority here on the earth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have those marks of a true, faithful, Bible-believing, Christ-loving church that loves and serves one another. Help us, we pray, to understand this, your word, and to understand this blessed, wonderful summary of what Scripture teaches as found in the Confession of Faith. Lord, help us in this understanding and help us to grow in grace, for we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I love abbreviations. Um, I used to work in the medical field as an occupational therapist, and as such, I found that I frequently used abbreviations to cut down on the amount of typing and writing that I had to do. And some therapists use a tremendous number of abbreviations where you almost need a lexicon of some sort uh, to be able to interpret what they're writing if you don't know all of those, inter- those abbreviations. Um, for you kids, uh, one of the most common abbreviations that we use all the time is USA, the United States of America. And in this church, we um, use 
OPC to stand for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And if you're writing a, an email to someone, it's a lot faster to just type in OPC than to write out Orthodox Presbyterian Church. However, uh, there's an old insulting alternate, uh, alternative uh, abbreviation that some uh, I heard some kids uh, use, and this was in a different Reformed congregation that was not OPC, but some of the kids were laughing and joking and saying that OPC stood for only perfect church. And that's an insult uh, to say that we would think that we are proud to the effect that we think that we are the only perfect church. And there's no one I know of in the OPC who has ever claimed that we have ever said that or that we ever thought that we were. Um, the fact that our, our denomination has a committee on, um, a permanent committee, in fact, of um, ecumenicity and interchurch relations, that committee is evidence that we don't think that we're the only church because we want to have interchurch relations with other churches. And uh, that means that we don't think that we're the only church. But if someone ever asks you this question, and I did have a family member once who, who said something to the effect that he thinks that he asked if we thought that we had, we're the only ones that have um, the true doctrine of what we are, of something of that sort of, of being, if we thought that we were only, the only perfect church, but he didn't use those exact words. And I told him this, I said, if someone ever claims that we are the only perfect church, that's contrary to our doctrinal standard. Our doctrinal standards, as found in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, section 5, says, The purest churches under heaven are, both, are subject both to mixture and error. Let me, let me read that again. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to to mixture and error. Now, that includes this church, this congregation. That includes every church that was pastored by the Westminster Assembly members. Every one of those wise doctors of theology, uh, all of those ministers served in churches that would fall under the classification of being both a mixture, having a mixture and error within them. And uh, we'll go to look at that uh, a little bit more in today's uh, study of God's Word and the Confession. Uh, section 4 opens by saying this, This Catholic or universal church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. Now, Catholic there, it means universal, that's the church, uh, across all nations and times. It's the church that is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, that's what Catholic means. It means universal. It doesn't mean that it holds to the Roman Catholic uh, teachings. So what I would like to point out is that section 4 opens about talking of the visible church. It's not talking about the invisible church here. I would, you could rephrase this sentence in this fashion. This brief sentence could be rephrased like this. The visible church has been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. Or the visible Catholic church has been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. 
Now, what in the world do they mean by that? Section 4 goes on to define what is a particular description of qualifying to be a uh, more visible church. How, do, how does a church evidence itself to become a more visible, true church of Christ? It says, goes on to say in section 4, And particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure, according to the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. Now, before we go on to looking at these different classifications or qualifications of what testifies for a pure, a more or less pure church, I want to look at some of the darkest times in history, in redemptive history, when some believe that the visible church was almost extinguished or even almost to the point of only having one man as a member of the visible church. And we'll turn, we'll keep our place in Revelation uh, chapter 2, but we'll turn to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. And we're going to study some of uh, the life of Elijah Let's look at verse, the end of verse 13, actually. Um, God is asking Elijah, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The Lord uh, later on says unto him in verse, um, in verse eighteen. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So here's Elijah saying that he believes he is the only one left because, um, a, because Jezebel is, and her uh, minions are having, um, they're executing and killing the people of God, especially the priests. He says they're, um, they've killed the prophets with the sword and anyone, um, they've, they've also broken down the altars and they killed uh, those who are serving the Lord. So it's, to, it's so bad that Elijah believes that he is the one and only member of the household of God left. And then he thinks that his life will be soon to be extinguished, and then, then there will be no one left of the household of God. Or you could say the people of God, the household of God, the visible church. So here is a time in history where the visible church was very much less evident, even especially to the prophet of God, Elijah. But then God said there were 7,000 more. Another place, we're not going to turn there, but it's, uh, it's found in um, after the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. Remember, the, the, uh, Moses comes back down from the mountain, and then what are the people doing? They're worshiping 
uh, the golden calf, and they, it says that they uh, they were uh, they basically were uh, getting together to play. Um, you can imagine uh, there was not only drinking and drunkenness uh, and idolatry, but maybe even sexual immorality as well. Uh, but in uh, Moses is angry. He throws down the, the, the uh, he throws down the stone tablets and breaks them to pieces. Um, he's he's extremely mad. And then God Himself is very angry with the people Himself. And God says to Moses, "Let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation." God was threatening to wipe out all of his covenant people because of their wickedness and sin and idolatry and make of Moses a great nation, or I can say a believing nation. So if that would have happened, then the church would have been whittled down to one man. But thanks be to God that Moses was given as a type of Christ. He uh, pleaded with the Lord. He asked that his life would be wiped, that that he, that he would be taken out of the book of life, so that this people would not would be spared. He pleaded with the Lord as a type of Christ, and that God spared them. And He did destroy many of those idolaters, but He spared the people of of Israel as a whole because of the intervention of Moses. Uh, let's take a, a closer look, though, as we look back at section 4, at some of these qualifications that describe a church as being more or less pure um, or more or less evident as a visible church belonging to Christ. These qualities include, first, doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced. If a church compromises on the holy gospel, it is no true church. That's why uh, we don't believe that the Jehovah's Witnesses are a true church, because they've grossly compromised not only, not only on the deity of Christ, but they've grossly compromised on the gospel. Um, ordinances administered. Uh, what's an ordinance? An ordinance is something that Christ has commanded. You could say that is uh, the sacraments, which we believe there's only two uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So, in as far as these ordinances are faithfully administered, we have a true church. Um, uh, another thing that is an ordinance that Christ has commanded is church discipline. Uh, Matthew 18, that whole chapter, gives us a description of how to carry forth um, church discipline. That's another mark of a true visible church. Um, Another one that the confession gives us is public worship performed more or less purely in them. Um, I've heard of a situation where in one particular church, a pastor got down in the front of the, uh, the church and, and made an omelet as a sermon illustration rather than preaching what the Bible says. And I would say that qualifies for a church that has compromised on uh, having faithful worship uh, we believe that worship is only uh, what is, to, is prescribed by God, and we're not to add uh, anything to that. Um, the Belgic Confession gives us a similar 
statement that is somewhat it's similar to what we have in, the, in our confession. And the Belgic Confession, Article 29, says that the marks of a true church are pure preaching of the gospel, pure administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. Now, when those things are lacking, it's a church is, you could say, less visible or less evident as a faithful church. Uh, the Belgic Confession continues and says... As for the false church, it ascribes more power and authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God, and will not it submit itself to the yoke of Christ. Neither does it administer the sacraments as appointed by Christ in his word, but adds and takes from as it thinks proper. It relies more upon men than upon Christ. Now, when churches veer away in unfaithful teaching, doctrine, practice, again, the illustration of uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, that denomination uh, as a whole um, abandoned even teaching on the doctrine of hell, which I don't understand how you can find that from Scripture, that there's no such place as hell. Um, but because men especially the leadership of, the, of uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, didn't like the doctrine of hell. Therefore, they jettisoned it. Uh, so what in the world did God save us from? They, they, basically, they were relying more upon men than upon Christ. Um, it's not mentioned here in the Westminster Confession of Faith as a mark of a true church, but Jesus says it, so I think we need to add it here. Um, scripture teaches us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, especially the fruit of love, is an evidence that shows forth the true church of Christ. He says in John thirteen thirty four and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the love that a people of God has for one another is a mark of a true church as well. Section 5 goes on to say, and we read this a little bit of this earlier, the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. And some have so uh, degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan. Now, the reason that the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error is that, I believe, is that no one, um, I don't care if how many doctorates they have behind their name, um, what professor of w what seminary they are, how many books they've read, no one in this world has 100% infallible interpretations of every verse in the Bible. And the reason is that the Bible doesn't um, always give us enough information for us to always make a full, complete, exhaustive interpretation. Sometimes we, we have to present uh, multiple interpretations and we might not even get uh, some of those correct. Uh, one example is when I, I preached earlier on Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14, 
Nehemiah was, uh, he refused to go into the temple to save his life when there was spoken of an assassination attempt upon his life. Uh, we don't know if it would, why it was sin for him. Would it have been because it would have been, it would have showed that he was a coward and that they would have ridiculed him uh, for going into the temple to spare his life? Um, was it because they wanted to go into the temple at night other than for public worship and he wasn't allowed, it was forbidden, that would have been sin for him? Um, we know that he would have been allowed to go into the temple, just not into the Holy of Holies because he was a Jew. Um, you know, if you were a Gentile, you'd only be allowed in the, in the outer courtyard, but not in the temple itself. But he was allowed to go in, but why was it considered sin for him? Or why did he refuse to go? We can only give, present possible interpretations. We, we, we can't know it for sure, infallibly. And there are other passages of Scripture like that. Now, if you question and you say, well, it's discouraging that we can't know for sure what the Bible says in, in many places because of it, it's just a matter of multiple interpretations. Well, I want to give you some good news, and this goes back to the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, chapter um, 1, section 7, which says, All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. In other words, it's various interpretations, because they're not plain. Nor alike clear unto all. So all things in Scripture are not all clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another that not only the learned but the unlearned in due use of the ordinary means, that's the word and the sacraments and prayer, may attain unto sufficient understanding of them. So yes, there, there, there are churches that have a mixture of a mixture and error, and even this church has mixture and error because no interpretations of all of the Bible are infallible. However, those things which are necessary to understand the gospel can be observed and believed and known for salvation clearly, that even the learned and the unlearned can obtain it. That's good news, I believe. Now, um, when it talks about uh, that some churches have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan, the language for synagogue of Satan is found in Revelation 2. Let's go back to Revelation 2. And it's talking to the church of, in Smyrna. Um, and it says there in verse, um, actually that's verse 9, says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And he goes on to say, and I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, those who were persecuting this rather poor uh, church there in Smyrna, were saying some things that were so vile and even blasphemous that God himself said that they say that they are Jews, but they are not. In fact, they are a synagogue of Satan. They are so vile and evil and wicked. Now, we could say the same thing of some churches. 
Some churches have so degenerated. They have so uh, gone down into the pit of false doctrine that they are no true church of Christ and they are no children of Christ, but they, in fact, are a synagogue of Satan. I knew a um, lady um, minister, a campus minister in college when I was in Monroe, Louisiana, and uh, she was of one of the mainline denominations. Uh, I'd rather not say which, but uh, she thought it was her mission before God and before the campus minister, uh, before the college campus, to counsel women to go get abortions. That was her calling from God. That was her holy walk, was to tell women who were committing um, sexual immorality that they needed to go and kill their babies. And that was her calling from the Lord. Well, in fact, I would say she herself is a priestess of the synagogue of Satan. Or in that capacity, in the way that she acted, she was acting as a priestess of the synagogue of Satan. Now, what should you do if you are a member of a church and then you find out that the church that you are a part of has departed from the truth? Um, maybe it's even a denomination or a group of churches that you could say that this group of churches have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan. What should you do? Um, turn to Revelation 18.4. Just one verse there in Revelation 18.4. So it says here, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Now there's application of Babylon that has fallen. Um, my interpretation there that um, the great Babylon of old there that has fallen um, is Jerusalem. Come out of her because her wickedness is reached to the heavens. But I believe this also applies uh, to churches that have become synagogues of Satan. God would say for us to come out of them um, before, um, so that we will not participate in the sins of such synagogues of Satan. Now, at this point, I wanted to look at a little bit of the Westminster Confession of Faith um, for study classes by, uh, by uh, G.I. Williamson. And in this book, he goes on to say... Um, a little bit of some application of that passage, Revelation 18.4. Um, he says, um, when this point comes, when things become so bad in a church or denomination that the scripture is clear, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. Revelation 18.4. He says that it is sometimes argued that one should never leave a particular denomination as long as it is possible to remain in it. We would rather say that one should never leave a particular denomination as long as it is possible to remain without compromising obedience to Christ. And he gives a good argument here, I believe. 
He said the conditions necessary to an obedience which is not compromised are these. One, the denomination as a whole must still profess the true religion in its essential integrity. In other words, there might be some errors here and there, but it, it has to proclaim the true religion in its essential integrity. Two, there must be an unrestricted right to contend for the truth against such errors as are present. That means you must be able to continue to fight to uphold the truth. That's what contend means, to be able to, con- to, be able to fight and argue for the truth. Three, there must be an active engagement on the part of those who remain members to defend the truth and to seek the purity of the church. Yes, if the denomination is not perfect, if there are errors in it, but if you can still fill, fill these qualifications, then you ha- it's, it's still a worthwhile venture to stay within that church or denomination. Now he goes on to say this, There are those who have remained in false churches on the grounds that they are in a conservative congregation or presbytery, while admitting that the denomination as a whole is apostate. That means it's uh, gone into heresy as a whole. He says that this violates the biblical doctrine of the unity of the churches and the scriptural concept of corporate responsibility. Here he cites 1 Corinthians 11 uh, verses 14 through 27. He said, Others have remained in false churches on the grounds that they still have the right to preach the fundamentals of the faith. They admit, however, that they are not any longer permitted to preach the whole counsel of God, especially not the part of the counsel of God which condemns the errors that prevail in the church, you could say in the denomination. This contradicts the scriptural duty to preach the whole counsel of God and therefore um, and the special this this contradicts the scriptural duty to preach the whole counsel of God and the special duty to expose er- error and is therefore sinful and he cites there second Timothy 2:25 and then 4 chapter 2 um, so, uh, sorry second Timothy 4 verses 2 through 5. Um, One last thing he says concerning this is that he says, Finally, there are those who remain in false churches because they have hope someday to reform it, but they never actually do anything because they realize that such efforts have not been and will not be tolerated. He said this is the most inexcusable of all. Or he says, this is the least excusable of all. In other words, um, you say you want to uh, one day reform it, but there's no hope because there's no ability whatsoever to do so, and they don't even make efforts to do it because it won't, uh, it won't be tolerated. Then that's the time to depart, as the Scripture says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and you receive of her plagues. Revelation 8, uh, verse uh, 4. Um, Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith here talks about um, that some churches have so degenerated as to become 
synagogues of Satan. No churches at all, but synagogues of Satan. One of the reasons, uh, I would like to expand on some of his reasons, one of the reasons why I feel that a individual congregation in a denomination where there is uh, compromised uh, doctrine, um, denominational work, or compromised persons, that it really convicts me that an individual congregation, even though they're faithful, even though they're conservative, even though they're Bible-believing, if they take their tithes and offerings and send portions to support a national denomination that supports wickedness or supports wicked persons and practices, in some way you could say that this individual congregation is supporting wickedness by giving to that national denomination. Now, I'm thankful to say 100% that there's not one thing in the OPC that I, I feel that I'm bad, I have any bad conscience whatsoever in supporting. Um, yes, um, there are ministers and elders and deacons and um, even leaders in the church, even missionaries who, may, who fall into sin. But that's in any church. Um, but the church deals with those things. It doesn't allow people to continue on those things and those sins and continue to minister. And the, our denomination as a whole does not uh, support any wickedness. Um, section 5 um, of the Westminster Confession of Faith goes on by saying, uh, despite that there are churches have, that have uh, degenerated so badly to become synagogues of Satan, and that we're always uh, struggling against those who are uh, wanting to teach false doctrine. And there's always going to be a call for us to contend with the faith, for the faith, once delivered to the saints. Um, no matter what trials and troubles come, Section 5 closes by saying this, Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. God has always uh, purposed to keep a covenant people to worship him. If there's not a covenant people to worship him, even the stones will cry out. Now, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus promised this, that he would build his church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the gates of hell are on the defense. They have put up their defensive position and set up the gates. Now, who is on the offense? It is the church. And the church, in God's planning, in God's timing, will one day bash down even the gates of hell. Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Um, let's uh, close in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for um, this wonderful lesson that you have uh, called unto yourself a true church. And we pray that you would help us to be a church that upholds sound doctrine, Lord, that, um, that upholds the true teaching of the gospel, that upholds your ordinances, that of the, the sacraments of the, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Lord, a church that exercises church discipline, a church that has true worship, a church 
that demonstrates a love one for another to show others that we are truly your disciples. Lord, help us, we pray, and help uh, our denomination, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, um, which will never be perfect. But Lord, we do pray that you would help us to fulfill that gospel call to always strive after holiness, um, to grow in sanctification, to always strive to teach a pure gospel. Lord, bless this congregation and bless our church. Bless all those who hear this message, for we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.